Hi, this is Mike Metcalf. In this episode, I want to describe a planning system or a system for producing a plan, a useful plan. Bear with me, I'm going to try and do it in a story form. Oscar's office was on the eighth floor of a block of offices. Out of his window, he could see another block of offices. His window faced south, so he never really saw the sun. And at the opening of our story, the familiar ding occurred on his email, which he opened, noticing that it came from the assistant to the CEO. Oscar smiled to himself, it's from Mrs Bunny, referring to the sort of personality that assistants usually have to have. On opening the email, he realised that it was an instruction to produce a plan for their large organisation. Apparently, a lot of stakeholders and important people had been away at a luxury hotel at the seaside for three days discussing the future of the organisation, and the attached document was a summary of what was said. He was asked to put it together into a strategic plan. This, of course, went completely against Oscar's training for how a strategic plan should be formulated, but understood that he was also a bunny. He sat back in his chair and he thought about this for a while. Was it possible this year to do something useful, something different, to give them what they want, but it not just to be a piece of paper or several pieces of paper that were scrutinised for negatives, had to be mostly a marketing document, which was then just put in a drawer and forgotten. Possibly more dangerously, it would be put on the website for very few people to read. He had heard of a different way of preparing a strategic plan from the way he was taught in his MBA, which was largely about SWOT analysis, pest analysis, goal setting, visions and missions. He'd heard of something called concept-driven or concept-led strategy formulation. So he resolved to try hard to use the scantily little pieces of information he had about this method to draft this year's plan and see what sort of reaction he got. The documents produced under the concept-driven method was one, a statement of intent that said something like, this organisation intends to be more innovative, more international, etc. Then there was another document which was action plans, how we're going to become more innovative, how we're going to become more international, etc., we should have little sort of projects which could be given to project managers. And then the third document was what might be called decision criteria. So HR would get a document saying, when you employ people, we want them to be innovative, international, etc. And the budgeting people saying, make sure that the budget allocation shows 
what has been done and spent on being innovation, uh, innovative, or what has been done and spent on being international, so that there was some sort of budget analysis possible along the same lines. And also uh, for expenditure evaluation, if someone said, let's spend a million dollars building this thing, the question should be asked, part of the evaluation process should include, does that make us more innovative or does it make us more international, etc.? So the first step was to go through the attachment, which had a lot of quotes from people. There were quite a wide range of stakeholders present, and they were interested in a wide range of things. I mean, some of them had mentioned needing new overalls in the warehouse. Others have said that they wanted to develop a marketing plan into China. Some had pointed out that the designs coming out of Europe were superior and people who used to sing on the television, it would impact their organisation. Some had pointed out that they wanted to be more environmentally friendly and, uh, and have more diversity and reduce the carbon footprint. The accounts people had been concerned about cash flow, saying that we needed to pipeline projects a bit better we need to think more about our margins. It was the usual set of stuff from a wide range. Oscar noticed there wasn't anybody playing devil's advocate from, say, the uh, you know, who represented the competitors, that if we did that, how would they respond? That there was a bit of a blind spot in the discussions in that sense. Even if they simply highlighted what the competition was doing or was likely to do in response to anything that Oscar's organisation did. So Oscar added a few sentences or statements to the attachment document to reflect the lack of competitors' input as a stakeholder. As Oscar understood it then, the method or the system was to extract something like 100, 150 statements out of these three planning day documents. These were statements that, that struck him as significant, with a, as wide a range of opinions and attitudes as possible. There not being any point, really, in repetition. It was more about the issues... And even if someone had said, we need to worry about our carbon footprint, and somebody else would say, we really must stop wasting our time on this carbon business, there was a statement there about carbon. It really didn't matter the direction of the conversation. Oscar did look for insightful comments, things that he'd not heard before, but was amused to notice that most of the comments, he could guess who was saying them, before he looked to see who actually had said them. Anyway, with his, what turned out to be 120 statements, about a sentence long, a couple of lines each, he numbered them randomly, 1 to 120, and then went through underlying what he thought were the key words in each sentence. Typically one or two key words in each sentence. Then he drafted a links table, so he'd say something like statement one 
had the same sort of keywords in it as statement 14, 56, 72, 93, and 116. And then next, you would say statement 2 had similar keywords to, to statements 23, 61, 74, 98, and on down all to the 120, the bottom of the 120. He was going to use these links to cluster the statements, so he ended up with a handful of clusters, so every statement would be in one cluster uh, of, of, say, five or so clusters. To do this, he used social network analysis software, typically Node Excel, but UCI Net and Gepi are other examples. And so he put in the links and ended up with a cluster and found that he had about five clusters, roughly the same size. One was a bit smaller. And the next task was to give them a label, to name the clusters. What were they about? What was the issue in the five clusters? And he concluded, understanding again that he most likely shouldn't have done this by himself, but wanting to progress things, thought maybe in later years he could get other people involved. But he named these five. One of the clusters was around innovation, one of them was around internationalization. One of them was around being customer focused. One was around the organization be better coordinated, uh, the left hand knowing what the right hand was doing. Um, maybe a word like strategically aligned, internally consistent. And the last one was about being cleverer in reading the market, in, in having a better intelligence system for picking up the markets. What was going in the market, what new entrants were, what prices were, what customers were looking for. Okay, so now he could draw up the first document, which was the Statement of Intent. He, he always reflect, Oscar, on the fact that it was called Intent. When Drucker originally did it, he said it should be a Statement of Purpose. Oscar wasn't quite sure about the difference between purpose and intent, but it sounded uh, better to say statement of intent, and he read a few articles saying that, that other people did statements of intent. Statements of purpose seemed rare. So this statement of intent said, this organisation intends to be more innovative, international, customer-focused, coordinated... Um, market intelligent and customer focused. So that was the first part of the exercise done. That was a good day's work. Oscar went home. Again, he did reflect on the fact that he felt that this was a bit silly for him to sit in his room and do this. But he thought maybe this was the first time it had been done. It was a new idea. Perhaps best not to get crowds of people involved and take months over doing it. He would produce the documents in this form, send them off, and if they got rejected, he could always rewrite them into the traditional long and elaborate detailed strategic plan containing a SWOT analysis or pest analysis and everything else.
um, if requested. In order to progress this the next morning, Oscar first had to ring around a bit uh, and ask people, especially the guys from finance, what sort of projects were going on, what sort of um, you know, exercises were going on, improvements, changes. There was a capital investment program, uh, so he got details of those projects, and he spoke to some of the heads of departments saying what sort of you know, projects were they looking forward to doing over the next year or two. He also went back through the planning day looking for mention of doing things, of projects, of actions. People who were going, said they were going to do this and do that. For example, they were thinking about setting up an office in Beijing. So that went down as an, an action. Oscar then got out his whiteboard marker, went over the whiteboard, made the five columns, one under innovative, one under international, etc., one under customer-focused, and tried to put the projects under each. Some projects went under two or three. Other projects were very hard to put them under any of those headings at all. For example, if they opened an office in Beijing... Clearly, that would make them more international. He wasn't sure if that would make them more innovative or not, or customer-focused. The, the people running the project might think so. But there were some projects, like a review of senior management salaries, which he wasn't sure came under any of the, the five categories. Um, so they had to be put to one side. As others. The point being that if the organization wanted to make priorities of being innovative or um, being international, then should it be spending its money on projects that didn't align with these five strategic priorities? Of course, Oscar didn't want to get into the debate about what they were called. Uh, he would use the word priorities because that was common around the organization, but this thing about being innovative and uh, international, were they principles, priorities, goals, objectives? Didn't want to know, really. Um, a vague term would be concepts. That's the term used by those who had described the concept-driven method. That is, the organization is driven by these five concepts. Oscar felt it would be prudent if he called them priorities. So now he had two, the two parts of the, well, the two documents that make up the system. He had a statement of intent and he had the action plans under the columns of the strategic priorities with some questions and issues, of course, and some blanks. So there was uh, room for discussion around that document, but he, he had a, a straw man, a starting point. The third part was to do what might be called the decision criteria. So starting with the personnel, he, he said when we promote or reward or hire anybody, we should really say, how will this person help us, or how has this person helped us, B, 
be more innovative, more international, customer-focused, internally consistent, and market-intelligent. He prepared a similar document saying that anybody who puts a proposal up to the board for expenditure, it should be evaluated under those five priorities. There might be other points, but it's important that the five priorities got recognised. It should be written into the application document for funding. Oh, oh, and, and Oscar went back to the HR and said, yes, that, of course, includes the annual performance review should be divided up into these priorities. What have you done this year in order to make this organisation more innovative, international, etc.? Then there was the marketing department decision criteria that marketing campaigns should be evaluated either as, as demonstrating or making the organisation more innovative, international, or whatever, under the priorities. This was to be the image of the organisation, that the web page be re redesigned to say this organisation is in innovative, it is customer-focused, it is international. That these priorities would make up the corporate image. And therefore, marketing needed visuals that said this about the organisation, that things like the logo and the painting and the images that are put out and the packaging should reflect these priorities for the organisation. So, after a few days' work, and very, being very well aware that he would get quite heavy feedback for some of the stuff he'd done, tried hard to state along the top, this is a draft for discussion, rather than it's a final document, and emphasised that it was very much a straw man for discussion, uh, give them something to talk about so they didn't go around in circles too much. They could focus on editing and changing these three documents, three papers, then the discussion around the strategic plan would be a lot more focused. Oscar had figured out that people would start to say, well, where's the value statement or where's our mission and vision? So he thought he'd better have those up his sleeve so that he could respond. To some extent, he wanted the statement of intent to be the value statement. Um, this company values innovation, internationalization, customer focus, etc. Um, he drafted a vision statement really in reserve that said something very similar to the um, statement of intent, that the vision for this organization was to be an innovative international customer-focused organization or one of the you know, best in the world at that or a world leader or excellent world-class in these five areas. The mission statement he understood to have been replaced with the action plans. Um, so there was just a little bit more detail, but they were using the same categories, um, the five priorities. So the missions have been divided into 
these are the jobs that are going to make us more innovative, these are the jobs and tasks that, and expenditures that are going to make us more international, and so on. The attraction to Oscar with this approach was he wasn't really responsible for coming up with you know, a, a, a clever action, a one-off action that would improve the organization. He, to some extent, decentralized it and said, all I want is that people who come up with ideas for what the organization should do in the future ask themselves whether they align with the strategic priorities. And he understood that in some cases people would just gameplay that a bit and say, well, this indirectly will help us with customer focus or whatever the priority was. So this was more a, a sort and filter and a focusing the mind than it was a statement you know, that they were going to sort of sell twice as much in China next year as the two-year plan. The sort of backlash Oscar was anticipating was somebody saying, well, I'd like this organization to be more, I don't know, hierarchical or to, um, you know, to, to be more vertically integrated. And Oscar would, would have to sort of say, well, the priorities that I got came out of the planning day. So therefore, to some extent, they are scientifically justified. They're not somebody sitting in their office thinking of a concept. The concepts have come from a process, a consultative process, a discussion process. Um, and if people had other concepts they thought important, then maybe they needed either weaving in with the present priorities or next year to bear in mind to raise them at the planning day. These strategic priorities, innovation and internationalization, could change, one assumes slowly, it shouldn't be a radically different one every year, but they should be open to sort of to renegotiation, to rewording. The market intelligent priority and the customer focus priority felt to Oscar to overlap a little bit but maybe that could be teased out next year when they discussed what the priorities should be. The overdriving concern about Oscar was a history. The strategic plan was just a meaningless piece of paper that was put away in the drawer. If you asked any of the staff what the plan was, they wouldn't really know. And if you asked the CEO, we'd pick on his favorite projects. As, as a strategic plan, or you'd get those vague things about saying we're going to be better, we're going to be more. In fact, if you asked most of the staff what the strategic plan was, they would, in one form or other, say more. We've got to sell more, we've got to make more, we've got to have more customers, we've got to have more of things. They understood that to be the strategic plan, even if it was more financial control or you know, more efficient use of people. More was the strategic plan um, by default. More of everything. Everything good, that was. Reminded Oscar of that lovely statement about uh, moderation. Everything in moderation except moderation, which should be done to excess. And the same was, was true of, of moreness. 
Oscar would also knew that there would be questions around why have we ended up with five priorities? Why haven't we got 20 priorities or two priorities or one priority? And the only really answer that Oscar had to this was the extensive psychological research, usually attributed to Miller and those who came out after him, which was originally called the magic number seven plus or minus two. But further research, especially out of the domain of mathematics, that demonstrated that humans really can only hold about five concepts in their mind at once, or they'll start to bleed them together. You can even see that in the customer focus and market intelligence, that if I added another one, another concept, people would start to say, well, that's very similar to that concept, or they'd lose you know, uh, memory of what the five concepts are. The fact that we have five fingers on our hands, a lot of Counting systems go to five. Um, five is considered to be enough. In fact, some people say three, but three, four, five, maybe. That sort of number. I, I, the, the research showed that ten's too many. It's the same argument as a small group. If you have five people in a room in a meeting, it can be creative and productive. If you have ten or twenty or thirty in the room, it's usually not very productive. A lot of people sitting around not doing anything. Same sort of thinking. The other issue that Oscar knew would come up is someone would say, well, who else uses this method? We're not going to use this method unless someone famous or someone respect or whatever uses this method. Now, Oscar knew that if he went online and looked around at organizations, especially the one that he's respected, a lot of them would say, we have a vision and mission statement and their vision was to be the best in the world and their mission was... Various mundane and bizarre things, um, you know, stretching from saving the planet from climate warming to you know, increasing the toilet space in the warehouse. In fact, most mission statements looked a little bit like Oscar's statement of intent, the vision statement being really a fairly meaningless surface document. And Oscar had found in the past when he'd asked CEOs what their vision was, they were really stuck. And that's why they had to fall back on to be world class or the best in or the best steel maker in the world or you know the the most respected administrative unit or whatever. Fairly vague terms. Remembering that when Drucker wrote his original advice on doing this, it was the three were not a vision statement, but a statement of purpose, mission statement, and objectives. Somehow or other, the statement of purpose, or intent, has got changed into a vision statement. It does seem to be a very Christian thing that clever and uh, unique people have visions, do miracles, have visions. Um, so somehow or other, that's got distorted, I think. The original idea was a sense of purpose, a sense of intent. One of the problems that Oscar reflected on was that you need to get the balance between a very, very detailed plan um, and where you, you said that we're going to do this on this day and this on this day, we're going to spend this much money and this many people. And so really that was a project management sort of exercise you know, with dates and times and places. 
Often, of course, that went wrong because something changed or, you know, the world is just really not stable enough often to fulfill those for a reasonable size organization. It's also been reported as very confining because you're halfway through the project and you realize that it would be cleverer to do something else. But should you stick to the original plan or should you switch? The other thing is if the plan's too vague, like we want to be the best in the world, it really doesn't give any advice to anybody as to how to make decisions. If, in fact, every time an incident occurs to a manager and they're asked to refer back to this, well, our priorities are to be innovative, international, it does give them some decision criteria rather than the criteria of decide so the organisation will be better. And, and so a strategic plan needs to be somewhere between lots of detail and too vague and, and having a handful of priorities and, and aligned action plans and decision criteria put you in that sort of you know, not too exact, not too over-detailed, not too micromanaged, but not too vague either. So that if some opportunity or threat did come over the horizon, and a lot of good management is really looking for those things coming over the horizon, then the company would know how to respond to it. Is it if it would help the company become more innovative, then it would be a friend and you'd adopt it. If it would stop the company from being more innovative, then it was something to be resisted and opposed. So this concept-driven style of planning was helpful in dealing with uncertainty without being too vague. It would be hard to call it anti-fragile well, maybe not, because it would it, at least you had some criteria in which to evaluate some unusual event that occurred and know how to respond to it. So one assumes you'd be quicker at responding to it and therefore be able to take advantage of it. Um, so be more than resilient to it, you'd actually be able to exploit a lot of things that came over the horizon suddenly. The real selector for success... the thing that Oscar knew would make a difference, would determine whether his approach was really just another piece of paper that went into the cupboard or not, was whether the HR promotions, appointments, and the budgeting and the marketing did actually reflect the priorities. Now, Oscar wasn't in a strong enough position in the organisation to do so, but he would try hard to emphasize to the CEO that he should go around repeating these priorities and using these priorities as criteria when people ask his advice or asked instructions or he gave instructions. It wouldn't help if he goes to meetings and saying the most important thing for this organization is reputation or um, you know, some other sort of priority and you say, well, but surely our strategic plan doesn't mention reputation. Um, and so that the stump speeches that come out of the senior executives need to reflect the priorities. They need to internalize them. This will take a lot of time and repetition and repeating. All Oscar could really do is when he got a document or a statement, is to write back and say, how does this fit in with our strategic priorities?
and he knew that he didn't have the power, that if, if people ignored that, then he was in trouble. If the, the forms of people applying for money or for jobs reflected the priorities, then Oscar would have actually implemented the strategic plan. Yes, so Oscar knew that he had to find people who used the statement of intent in approach, had to find people that were respected. And of course, the obvious ones to turn to are people like Microsoft and Apple and Google um, and, and market leaders and show that nearly all of them had adopted this approach. You can, even Facebook, who put out their strategic plan in the first couple of pages, they put out a handful of priorities, of concepts, of, of guiding principles for the organization. Some call them goals and objectives. It doesn't matter, but if, if you can highlight that basically they have initially identified a handful of issues, priorities, concepts that will act as the guiding principles for the organization, you can say they've adopted that particular approach. And in fact, companies like Facebook and Google and Apple do this all the time. Um, Steve Jobs was fairly keen on it. He had a very large organization and wanted to keep it very focused on things. He would tell people you know, that what the Apple product looked like. Um, it had to be very, very functional. It had to be very good-looking. It had to appeal to a certain pirateness in the user. The, it was for the, you know, the intelligent middle class who wanted to appear to be a little bit radical, but it had to be a rather sexy, extremely functional object, very well tied to its supply chain. That is, Apple's other products and iTunes and its supply chain. Oscar also knew that the people, the scientists in the research and development department, would ask him whether this was an evidence-based plan, what evidence or science had gone into producing it. On the evidence-based, he could simply say, the evidence used was that collected at the planning day. It would be impossible to undertake some sort of analysis of all the machinery and its capabilities and markets and their capabilities that you had to rely on the experiences of the 30-odd people at the planning day to understand if there were opportunities and threats, that they would have identified them themselves and articulated that in a concern of some sort, saying that our, you know, the packaging was out of date or you know, the prices weren't acceptable in China or that you know, the HR policies didn't follow the new regulations. That to undertake a sort of mathematical analysis of the organization was just really not a practical thing to do and it would be you'd end up with paralysis by analysis um, that it was better to have it summarized and by the managers at the planning day
it might be possible to set up some management statistics that get reported every month which measure success in the areas of innovation and internationalisation, some sort of goals or benchmarks um, set. Uh, be careful they don't become too distorting and people don't game them. But um, it might be possible to collect some numbers of some form uh, in order to have a, a measurement system to see whether progress was being made on these criteria. It was scientific in the sense that of an open society, that being a debate and argument, science be a debative process, it's not just one person's opinion, that the, the way the, the plan was formulated was through discussion and argument and people bringing up issues and countering things, which is the way of the scientific method. So... In the covering letter explaining to senior management group, the CEO, what, why Oscar had done it this way, he decided that there were certain issues he wanted to mention. One was, as mentioned previously, that this way of doing the plan got the right balance between being too vague and too detailed. It did allow for reaction to good and bad things that come over the horizon, unexpected events. It was very much focused on strategic alignment, which was in fact one of their priorities. So it, it was about everybody having the same understanding of what the corporate priorities were. It draws on pragmatic philosophy or theory of how humans think. William James, we think in concepts, tell us which concepts we should reflect off. And if everybody in the organisation is reflecting off the same concepts, we have some sort of coordination. So it's tied into a particular theory of cognition and decision-making. Sometimes in the decision-making theory, this is called frames, the, the priorities of the frames. We want employees to see the world through this handful of frames. And it was multiple perspectives, because all the stakeholders, including the competitors, were included. All departments, all the functions were included. It was a, an attempt to be multiple perspective. So these were the concepts that Oscar tried to use to justify his approach to planning, his, his new system of planning, this is how Oscar had sense made or made sense of the right way to design a planning system. Okay, so maybe we should leave it at that. In terms of so what for your organisation, the question might well be that you ask yourself, what is your organization's strategic plan? Are you aware of it? Are people aware of it? Are they listening to it? Is it having an impact? Or is it just a piece of paper or wishful thinking by a few people where the rubber doesn't reach the road? It's, 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 sort of, it's fanciful. Thank you.